as your uh, daily reading is being handed out. Um, before I forget, again, for the third consecutive talk, uh, Pete had mentioned yesterday the, the podcast that Ken and I have started up about the integration of faith and mental health. It's called This Whole Life. So at some point in the weekend, there are cards and like water bottle laptop stickers on the front table back there. So take a card, uh, there's a little QR code on it. You can look up the website, take a sticker, put it on your water bottle, laptop, your friend's forehead, whatever you want, that's fine. Um, but those are all for you. So I don't wanna take any of them home. So please take those and give them away to friends and family if you want to, appreciate it. Um, our message this morning is for people that don't feel close to God. Um, that can happen for a number of reasons. Uh, it, it, people can certainly feel far from God if they have made a specific choice against God, if they have rejected the idea of God. That's one way that people can feel that distance. But it's also true that that feeling, the experience of distance from our Lord, is also just a simple part of human existence for every follower of Christ at some point in their journey. Um, I suspect that every one of us has had at least some period of that feeling, of that experience, of feeling a sense of distance or... Um, silence from God. Maybe that's something that you've struggled with years ago, and it, it's been a while, but you can recall what that was like. Uh, maybe that's something that, at this stage in your journey right now, that that's something that's, that you're going through, that you're wrestling with, maybe even struggling with really deeply. It's also entirely possible that even right now in this moment, this morning, that you feel that feeling. While it is true that something as beautiful and, and spirit-filled as Family Fest and, and Winter Weekend, Summer Splash, as all these opportunities, as true as it is that these are often particular ways that we are able to be lifted out of those desert periods, and for many of us, I know that we've had an experience like that already, it is also true that it is entirely possible to go through the course of an amazing weekend like this and feel dry and desolate the entire time. <laughs> so if you're looking around and you're the, you feel like you're the only one in the room who doesn't feel the happy Jesus mountaintop feelings, I'm here to tell you that number one, you're probably not the only one, and number two, you're not weird, you're not broken. I mean, you might be weird, but no worse than any of the rest of us, right? You're not broken, you're not weird, this is a part of the human experience, that we often have feelings that we can't explain, um, that don't make a lot of sense, and that maybe we can't even find the cause of. Maybe we just feel things sometimes, and we don't know why. Um, if I were to ask you, or if, let's say a stranger came up to you on the street and asked you, what is the point of faith? Someone said, you know, you know I, I've heard you're a Christian out there in the world. What's the point of faith? Um, I've asked that question actually to many, many, many high schoolers throughout the course of my life. And I love talking to high schoolers because they are brutally honest. Sometimes when they don't mean to be, and it's wonderful, I love it. Uh, and I think oftentimes that, that the answer of a high schooler, of a teen, is often 
the answer of an adult, but just with less of a filter, maybe. Um, <laughs> so I think it's possible that their answers reflect at least a portion of what we would maybe answer, right? Uh, I hear a lot of, well, it's, it's, um, it's to, to have meaning in life. It's to have purpose in life, to know what you're about, you know. Uh, I hear a lot of community-type answers, you know. Um, well, th this is where I, I have my people, my friends, my community, my, my, my family, both literal and figurative faith family. This, these are where my people are, you know. I've heard a lot of, um, well, it's to get heaven, basically. <laughs> it's to, to, to do the best you can now so you can win the prize at the end, that kind of a story, you know. Um, I hear a lot of... Um, well, I, I, I don't know what I would do without it because you have to have something strong to lean on, right? Um, those are all beautiful answers. Those are all true answers as far as I can see. The shortcoming, though, sometimes is that we can get in the, that kind of a mindset where all of those are good reasons to be Christian, by all means. Those are all, those are all parts of, of the truth. But I think somewhere deep down, there's this part of us that wants to get something from this deal. There, there's a part of me, part of my, my broken, weak human self, that I want to be Christian because I, it just makes me feel nice, you know? There's like nice people here like you, and I don't, the people out there are not so nice, but you are, so I like to be here where the nice people are, you know? Uh, I get told... Um, through all kinds of experiences, some implicit, some explicit words throughout my Christian journey, things that make me feel good. And that's important, right? <laughs> the gospel is consoling in a lot of really important ways. But the problem can be that I and my faith often will chase the feelings and not the Lord, right? That the, the Lord is actually a means to an end, that I'm going to follow God because he makes me feel good. Friends, that's not God. That's Santa, right? <laughs> Our kids love Santa because they love toys. And if there was anything else that would give them toys that didn't involve a stranger breaking into our house in the middle of the night, they would just follow that instead, right? It's actually not about Santa. <laughs> it's about the stuff, right? If our relationship with God is our adult version of toys, if our adult version of God is nothing but pizza and promotions and cars and happy feelings from amazingly beautiful experiences like this, is it about God or is it about the stuff for me, you know? And then the deeper, darker question is, what happens when there are no happy feelings? Does that mean there's something wrong with God? Does it mean there's something wrong with me? Um, that experience of desolation, of desert time, can come from a bunch of different causes. Some of them can be interior causes, right? Sometimes there are, are things that I think and I believe that lead to this desert experience of feeling far from God. Sometimes there's things that happen inside that I don't even know what's happening. They're just feelings. Our emotions go up and down, they come and go. You know this, in any human relationship, the feelings come and go. It's about the commitment to the relationship, whatever it is, that sustains in the low times, right? It's the same with God, so the feelings come and go. Sometimes there are exterior causes, things outside of ourselves that lead to these desert times. 
Some of you named those things in the midst of the prayers that we just prayed, things that you're going through right now or have been going through, or you know someone who's going through things that have led to these incredible desert times. Um, in January of 21, um, uh, Kenna's dad, Brad, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, he had been having a host of health issues we didn't really understand, and then they found out that uh, he had cancer. Um, his battle with cancer was short and really intense. He was diagnosed on January 21st of 2021, and he died on April 14th of 2021, our youngest child's first birthday. Uh, so Kenna uh, was grieving the loss of her father, me, the loss of my father-in-law, the kids, the loss of their grandfather. Uh, about six weeks after that, the first Sunday of summer vacation, um, a normal Sunday afternoon, boys were playing Mario Kart in our living room, <laughs> and a uh, phone call destroyed our lives. Um, I got a phone call that Kenna's sister, Carly, uh, who is a school teacher in Greenville, South Carolina, was riding a bike with her new husband, Ryan, had been married for about six months. They got married after Thanksgiving of uh, 2020. Uh, she was riding across the street at a red light, and a pickup truck blew through the red light, killed her on impact, and took off driving away. Um, so for a family that had not yet fully grieved the loss of their father, we're now grieving the loss of their daughter, sister, aunt. Um, about a month after that, Kenna got a phone call from her grandmother in Hawaii, the one that sent us the straws, uh, that she had been diagnosed with a host of respiratory issues and was given 10 months to live. And that's about what she got. Um, she died this past spring of 22. We thought 2020 was bad, man, and then 2021 happened. Um, and we who like, like to think that we are faithful people in our home, we try really hard, we were confronted with a lot of really big questions that we hadn't had to confront in a long time. Um, are, do we really trust in, in this God like we say we do? Um, when, when everything that we believe is thrown up in the air, are we willing to make a move of faith into the void, not knowing if we're going to be caught, right? Um, that experience of desolation, that emptiness all of us have from time to time, right? It doesn't make you messed up. It doesn't mean that God isn't with you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. What it means is that you're a human being. Um, it's actually a lot of consolation for me at times that Jesus himself experienced that exact same thing, both interior and exterior desolation, right? Jesus in the Garden of Eden, or sorry, Garden of Eden, the other garden, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> has been betrayed by his best friends. He's been left alone. 
He knows he's going to die. He's at the end of his earthly life. He's going to go through untold amounts of physical, biological pain and suffering. He's going to be ignored, mocked, ridiculed, lied to, spat at, killed on a cross for people and their sins that don't love him enough. And in the midst of that darkness, he has a choice. I mean, he was, he's God, and he's sinless, but he still has a choice. And he makes an important move. And he takes all of that anger and fear and doubt and confusion, and he just gives it to his father. He says, Dad, I don't want to do this. <laughs> he says, actually, beautifully, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. God himself that day said, I feel like dying, right? Now, he never would have chosen that, but the feeling is there, right? I feel like death. My soul is sorrowful even to death. But he took that sorrow and he gave it as a gift, as an offering to his father. Because our loving father, like any loving parent, wants nothing more than just to know what's on our hearts, the good, the bad, the ugly, the broken, the gross stuff that we don't even want to admit to ourselves, let alone our best friend, let alone God. He just wants it all. He wants to know you. And the funny thing is, <laughs> we humans, we think we can hide things from the omnipotent creator of the universe, right? Like somehow in my logic, weird logical brain, I think to myself, well, if I don't tell God about it, he'll never know. <laughs> Spoiler, he always knows. <laughs> Um, Jesus experienced all of it. In that pain, in that suffering, God has something to say to each of us. This is not the passage for today, but C.S. Lewis said this in a book called The Problem of Pain. He said, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So the question isn't, are we going to go through periods of darkness, dryness, and desolation? It's not the question. The question is, when we go through periods of darkness, dryness, and desolation, what do we do as people who are in a relationship with the Lord? What do we do? How do we handle that? On your pretty little purple sheet there, you've got the reading for today from a book called The Screwtape Letters. Now, this book requires a little bit of preface because it's a weird, hilarious, awesome book. C.S. Lewis wrote a book full of imaginary letters written by a demon to his nephew demon, training him on how to tempt one particular human being. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it is so ridiculously insightful and incisive in human nature, and in our relationship with God. It's fascinating. It's so fun to read. But you have to understand a few things. It's written upside down. What that means is it's written from the demon's perspective. So the enemy, capital E, is God, okay? The patient, capital P, is the human being, the guy that they're trying to tempt away from God down to hell forever, okay? And when he says, our father below, he means Satan, right? <laughs> It's hilarious, it's goofy, but it takes a minute to get your brain kind of calibrated to it, okay? Right now what they're talking about in this passage is their human being, the one that, that he's training his little nephew to tempt, that human being is going through what they call a trough period. 
So there's these mountaintop experiences in our faith, right? Maybe the first time that you came to faith, the first moment, you were like, oh my gosh, me and God, I'll never leave you. And then 10 days later, you're like, I'm sorry, God who? <laughs> what? <laughs> They're talking about these trough periods, the times where things don't feel good in our faith, okay? Here's what Screwtape says to his nephew, Wormwood. And that is where the troughs come in. You must have often wondered why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a will as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do, would for him be useless. He cannot ravish, he can only woo. For his ignoble idea is to eat the cake and have it. The creatures are to be one with him, but yet themselves, merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. I'm gonna pause there for a moment. Do you get what he's picking up on? It's the idea that and people will ask this sometimes. Well, if God is God, why doesn't he just make it super obvious? Right in the sky, Jesus is the Lord. And like make it a daily event, whatever. So no one can miss the fact, right? That would be fine, except for the fact that it would immediately and automatically rob us of our free will. If he were to make it indisputable or irresistible, if we are unable to resist, that is not love. That is kidnapping, right? <laughs> Even if it's mental kidnapping, it's still overriding our free choice. What they're saying is God wants to be one with us, but he wants it to be on our terms. What a crazy God, right? He goes on. He, God, is prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which, though faint, seem great to them with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation. But he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later, he withdraws. If not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. We can drag our patients along by continual tempting because we design them only for the table. <laughs> you get what he's saying? To be literally consumed, destroyed, eaten, right? And the more their will is interfered with, the better. He cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. You're not, forgive me, the next part is so beautiful to me that it's hard for me to say without getting emotional. So, as a very Irish man, that's hard for me to admit sometimes, but there it is, we're all friends here. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, 
and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. We have a role model of that, actually. There was another person who looked around on a world from which every ounce, every trace of God's presence seemed to have vanished, who asked why he had been forsaken, and he still obeyed, right? We have a Lord on a cross who people have said over the years, it was as if God himself became an atheist for a moment. Now, Jesus certainly did not give up on God. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is God. But Jesus went through the experience of someone who felt like God had abandoned him completely. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even in that, he had every ounce of power necessary to literally come down off that cross and stop it immediately. And he chose to remain in the place of darkness, dryness, and desolation because he loves you. Because he loves you, he wants nothing more or nothing less than to be with you, certainly in eternity, but starting now. And because he knew that his model of faith in the midst of darkness, dryness, and desolation was very much going to matter to someone like you and me a son or daughter which he would love. It was going to really matter that we could look to him for a path forward in the midst of absolute isolation and dejection. Friends, I know this, this is a hard topic sometimes. I know it can feel like too much to ask sometimes to be faithful in the midst of things that don't feel faithful to us, that don't feel like it, it deserves faith. But the thing is that, that God is slowly and sometimes very painfully teaching us to love like he does, which is constantly and never-endingly and in the midst of trials and tribulations and ups and downs. We love God not because of the things that he gives us. We give God our love because he is love. We give God our love because he's God, and that's it. If he gave us nothing in return, it would still be worth it to give God every ounce of our existence and our faith. Now, the beauty is that God does give us things sometimes because he loves us, but we love God for his sake. God gives us himself, and we love him in return. And when we receive God's love, we can do anything. I was terrified of tornadoes when I was a kid. Terrified. I grew up in most, in this stage of my life, I was in Springfield, Illinois. So it's not Oklahoma, but it's not Minnesota either. They're like legitimate tornadoes on a semi-frequent basis around the, that kind of middle belt of Illinois, right? And every time the tornado sirens would go off, my parents would wake us up, we'd have to go to the basement, we'd have to huddle up around a fire, like a flashlight, like it's 1812, and then we would just sit there and I would wait to die, essentially. I was a very, like, morbid nine-year-old sometimes. <laughs> because, see, the thing about tornadoes is, like, I have zero control over that thing, right? Zero. It's not like, I had some sense that when my dad's driving the car, he can at least kind of avoid things that are dangerous, at least to some extent, right? You've got a, a, a sense of control there. 
Um, when you go out in the world, there's always dangers out, right? I had a sense of control in some of those things. When you get sick, my dad was a surgeon, so I knew that somewhere in the world there were doctors that would help people, so there was a sense of control over disease and illness, things like that. But tornadoes, no, uh-uh. Ain't nobody slowing that puppy down. You just hide and wait, and that's it, you know? I would just sit huddled up in this basement of our home, terrified. And if there was a storm of any kind, I would sit in my room just waiting for the tornado to show up at my house first, before the sirens even went off. Just boom, and like suck me out of the roof and take me away, right? That's, that, in my brain, that's how they worked, you know? I was nine. I, I don't think like that much anymore. That's <laughs> actually a really... Um, a valuable image for me about the ways that we are battered and beaten by the world sometimes, by the world around us, by this fallen, broken world. There's imagery in scripture, there's imagery in worship songs all the time about storms, right? It's appropriate. It's fitting. Things that we can't control, things that are dangerous and scary to us. And I didn't appreciate that basement enough when I was nine years old. <laughs> Because the thing is, like, if you imagine a person, like if you were standing out in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of a, a storm with a ton of tornadoes, right? If you're standing there alone, no protection, no shelter, nothing between you and the storm. When you are alone in the midst of the storm, you are acutely aware of the strength of the storm, right? Now, if you're in a shelter, if you're in a storm shelter, in the midst of that exact same storm, the storm is the same or more powerful even. But when you are in a strong shelter, you are acutely aware of the strength of the shelter, right? Thank God for the strength of this thing keeping me safe from all of that insanity out there. Psalm 62, starting at verse 2, says, My soul rests in God alone, from whom comes my salvation. God alone is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall never fail. Friends, all of us are going through storms in our lives. Some of you right now are going through storms. Some of you have been through storms and you don't know how you made it through. Some of you uh, have not been through any significant storms yet, but you know they're coming because they always will, right? Even when we don't feel the presence of God, we have a God who never abandons us ever. And the more that you and I can rest in his presence, the more that we can endure what comes at us from the outside and from the inside. Like I said, this, talking about dryness, darkness, desolation, it can feel not very happy sometimes, but it's just so real. And it's just so relevant to every one of us, right? And I truly see it as a deep message of hope and of joy. That in the midst of the worst possible things that Satan himself can conjure up for this world, we have a God who is bigger than that, right? In the midst of the worst possible evil that you and I feel and go through and suffer and experience to the point of literal death itself, we have a God who says, oh, that's nothing, <laughs> That little thing, yeah, I got that, that's fine. Doesn't mean we won't hurt, doesn't mean we won't cry and suffer and scream and sob. What it means is we will never do it alone and we will never live without hope because we have a God who's with us in it. One of my favorite examples of that is uh, my friend Ashley. My friend Ashley is someone that I met years ago. Um, she met her husband, Josh, and um, they were super excited to 
to start a family, to start this beautiful little Christian family that they had envisioned. They had the little Jesus signs from Hobby Lobby. They had all the stuff, right? They were like building the home with the family. There was lots of, you know, script handwriting around the house. It was the best. They were a little Christian family. Uh, and they got pregnant pretty early on in their marriage. Super excited, super thrilled. Found out early on that their firstborn child, Levi, uh, had a host of developmental problems, difficulties, and issues. Uh, his, the two hemispheres of his brain were fused together, and he had all kinds of different issues. Um, he couldn't eat regularly. He was sightless in one eye. Uh, he, he had no uh, prognosis for ever being verbal, being able to read, being able to walk, things like that. So all these nice little dreams that Ashley and Josh had for their life, all of a sudden those dreams had... They had to say goodbye to those dreams, and they had to be initiated into a different dream. Not a worse dream, not a worse life, but just a different one, right? And that's a grieving process. That's okay. It's a shift. All of us go through things like that sometimes. And their shift was into Levi's life of constant, undying care for their son. Josh would go to work. He's a chiropractor. And Ashley was on Levi duty. So day after day, month after month, she would try to help Levi outlive the doctor's prognosis for his life. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to live uh, past birth, and he did. He was born alive. He wasn't supposed to live to leave the hospital, and he did about six weeks later, and they took Levi home. Um, and yet, he had more surgeries than I can even remember within the first year of his life. Some of them scheduled for heart defects and things like that. Some of them totally unexpected because an emergency would pop up in the middle of the night. They'd have to rush up to Children's all the way from New Prague, and they would have to take him in for an immediate surgery treatment, something, right? But Levi had his first birthday, and they blew out candles for him. Candle, I guess, on his first birthday. He got gifts. The family celebrated the whole thing. Beautiful. He celebrated his second birthday. Emergency room after emergency room, surgery after surgery, celebrated two years of life. Levi got through four beautiful happy birthdays with his family. Levi got to meet his little sister, Gianna, before he died. Because one day when Levi was uh, almost five years old, um, Ashley was uh, sleeping next to him in his bedroom like she always does. Uh, and for, for some reason that she would tell you, she'll never understand, um, she woke up in the middle of the night on her own, and every alarm on every one of his monitors was going off. And she never sleeps through any of his alarms and bells and monitors, ever. She woke up and everything was going off, and she lost it. Um, she was a mom who was, who was faithful, and she was um, uh, committed to him, committed to God. So she, she put Levi in the car, and they drove up to Children's up 35E. And, and she could tell you where she was on 35E, and she was driving and just crying out to God. And she was just saying, God, like, why? <laughs> like, you could have made this boy any way. Why, why is he like this? It just, his, his body doesn't cooperate with his spirit. Like, what are you doing? And part of it was her admitting her own weakness. She's like, God, I can't do this much longer. Like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm lonely. I can't see my friends. I can't go on a date with my husband. 
I can't sleep through the night. I don't, and even with what I'm doing, I still can't save him from the things that are hurting him. What do you want from me, God? What do you want from me? She heard this really particular voice. She's driving up 35E, and the voice of the Spirit said to her, Ashley, there is no one better to care for Levi than me. But until I call him home, there's no one better to care for my boy than you. And it didn't immediately make him better. It didn't, it didn't immediately make her less tired. But it reminded her of her place, her very significant, beautiful place in this boy's life and in the life of God's plan. That she knew why he had made her for this particular place. And he knew exactly why he had given her this particular boy to show the world one more instance of what love looks like. When you give and give and give, not because you're strong, but because God is strong in you, right? Levi died when he was almost five years old, and he's still one of the, the better examples of love that I've ever seen. The way that he loved his family, the way that they loved him, the way that people around their family loved them in the midst of their storm, of their struggle. And in that darkness, dryness, and desolation, all Ashley had to do was throw all of that stuff to her father. And he was faithful. He heard. He always hears. He, he gave himself like he always does. I know some of you. I don't know all of you. And even the ones that I do know, I, I, I don't know anyone's particular journey but my own. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know to the extent that you're going through hard things right now in your life. Um, but you have a father who knows exactly what you're going through. In the moments where you are tempted to feel like you are alone, that is a lie. You are not alone. You've never been alone. In the moments that you're tempted to feel like God is not with you, God does not have his hand on your life, that is untrue. God is with you. He has his hand on your life. In the moments where you feel like everything that you're going through is meaningless, that the suffering itself, the pain, the darkness, even just the dryness, I feel like I pray and no one's listening, that that is meaningless. Friends, there is a Lord who has filled your very cells with meaning. And every ounce of your life has meaning because of his love for you. In the midst of your darkness, dryness, desolation, I sincerely pray that, you and I, pray that you and I can move forward with the hope that comes from him. That, that you and I are sustained by that strong shelter, by that fortress that will not let anything triumph over us because he is protecting us. He is protecting us with his love, with his perfect grace. Let's pray and we'll talk through this in small groups. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We come to you. We bring to you ourselves. And we offer you our hearts, Lord. Jesus, you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our joys and our successes and our, our achievements. And Lord, you also know our, our fears and our doubts, our questions. You know our anger. You know our sins. You know it all, Lord. And so we offer it to you today, Jesus. 
wherever, we're, wherever we are right now, whatever we're feeling, if we're feeling on top of the world with the graces that you fill us with during this amazing weekend, and if we're feeling really dry and far from you, wherever we are, we just ask that you continue to be faithful to us. We know that you will. We know that you always are. But we just pray for you to maybe, in a way that you desire, in your will, to make that known to us. To help us, in our littleness, help us know your presence in a way that we can understand. Jesus, thank you for your model of love and faithfulness in the midst of suffering and darkness. And we ask you to be with us in our questions and darkness wherever we go. We offer this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. All right.